Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, hi everyone. Welcome to the show. Hope you are having a great day. Special shout out to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. And just think next year is the 30th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And Yoshiko and Justin, the late Justin Dart, were certainly a major part of that great Civil Rights Act being signed. Then I want to thank Highmark, Blue Cross Blue Shield for being the lead sponsor of the show once again, three years in a row. And for the first part of the year, we have AudioWide that is also a sponsor. And what a great company this company is. They have a software product that they sell for web accessibility, digital accessibility, and it is a great product okay now around the world here we go ireland what are you doing you're in first place again as our number one listening country now we have 17 countries but you you guys are going to have to really move it up if you want to compete with ireland ireland thank you i thank you on every show it means a lot to me thank you for everything that you're doing and oh what a great treat you're all going to have today what a great treat because you are going to hear my great friend rock and roll star queen of it all senior vice president and head of supplier diversity and supply chain management Regina Hayward, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joyce. It's so incredible to be back with you again. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners. And I know we're going to have a wonderful time together today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of today's podcast. Absolutely. A few things I want to tell you. Number one. Regina Hayward was one of the most listened to shows last year. So, there you go. Better tell everyone (laughs) you know about this hot radio star, most listened to, one of the top ten. And I want to say something about Regina. She is a major supporter of people with disabilities. So, everyone listening now, I want you to know that because of Regina, Wells Fargo purchased iDisability, our software product that's a learning management system that teaches companies how to communicate to and work with people with disabilities. And you know what that means? Bringing down and bursting through stigma. But in addition, we have this big thing at Disability In called the Disability Owned Business Enterprises Business Owners certified by Disability In that have a disability. And I want to tell you, Regina, you signed the contract with Adobe. (laughs) Don't forget that you signed it. Uh, But anyway, let's talk about you and Wells Fargo. This company is huge. You have 7,800 locations. This is the data I found that blew me away. 13,000 ATMs. Wow! That is unbelievable when you think about that number. And though this company is... incredible. Yes. And here we have this huge corporation, huge, and yet... This organization has always had a commitment to diversity throughout history. So, Regina, why do you think that is, and how would you describe the culture? Like, what's it like there at Wells Fargo? Yeah, and and Joyce, I'm so glad you started with that question because Wells Fargo is a remarkable organization, I started with the company in 2014, and one of the things that immediately connected to me was Wells Fargo's commitment to delivering value to our shareholders and becoming a leader in corporate citizenship. We think about diversity and social inclusion from the standpoint of how do we advance things 
for the communities in which our company is operating. We really focus on creating economic opportunity and promoting things like environmental responsibility across the business and across our sphere of influence. Some, some of the things that we have really been involved in in the past few years that I think are notable are the investments that we're making in our team members. Um, we've raised the minimum wage to $15 per hour, and that was effective March 28th across our enterprise. And we added four new paid holidays for our U.S. team members, and that's incredibly important when you think about folks having the opportunity to spend time with their family and their friends and kind of take a, a break outside of the workforce to really do some things that resonate closely with them. So those additions of paid holidays, really, really critical to our team member engagement. In addition to that, something that, you know, we'll get into today, we've been very supportive of communities. And this is a data point that a lot of people don't know about, but Wells Fargo invests over $286 million annually in our communities through our philanthropy efforts. Um, when we think about that, that's 2 million plus hours um, that we volunteered in nonprofits in 2017. We created 15,800 homeowners in 57 communities across the country through our LIFT programs, which really help people to, to understand how to access credit and then to get into, into a home. But more particularly in my space, the way that we've been advancing diversity and social inclusion through awarding scholarships to diverse individuals, increasing access to education, over $4.6 million we invested in that area. And then very near and dear to the heart of service-disabled veterans and veterans, we've hired over 1,400 uh, people who've had military experience, again, both veterans and service-disabled veterans. And I could continue to go on, but these outcomes are really indicative of the culture at Wells Fargo, a culture which values people, uh, customers, team members, shareholders, stakeholders, and a culture where every day the leaders at Wells Fargo really show up asking ourselves uh, a pretty challenging question, what can we do next? to really help advance and to move our communities forward. So really excited. I, I joke with folks. I say, hey, I really love being a part of the stagecoach. I've learned a lot over the past five years, not only about the financial services industry, but about how being a, being a part of a company that really walks the talk can allow you to create enormous value, and, and that's what I'm all about. So really excited about the culture at Wells Fargo. Wow, that is so great. That is, you know, you you can tell that this company is focused on employees, even just by the four additional holidays. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was there, Regina was kind enough to ask me to come down and speak to her leadership. And you could just feel that, you know, you could just sense that camaraderie. And just down-to-earth, friendly people, I mean, I was really impressed uh, when I was there. And Regina, they are so lucky because they have you as the senior vice president and head of all (laughs) supplier diversity for Wells Fargo. And listen, Wells Fargo, you better take care of this woman because I'll tell you, she would be a great leader at any company now they're going to really get mad at me um but as senior vice president (laughs) (laughs) as this senior vice president head of all supplier diversity as i said even you know with me i'm a disability owned business enterprise but you go to those disability in meetings you're on the board you're always like a leadership role there at the disability and conference which it's the most phenomenal conference, uh, period. You know, this year I know it's in Chicago. Everyone should go to that disability in website. Um, I love this this whole group. But, Regina, you are a leader there. And at Disability Inn, there has been a very vested interest through supplier diversity and disability owned business enterprises. Why are you so focused on that? Why is that so important to you? Yeah, when I look at what's happening in the United States and across the world, 
it's very apparent to me that diversity businesses are at the forefront of creating value, not only within corporate supply chains, but within communities. And that, that value is really translating into bringing forth innovations, you know, raising ideas, being a part of the technological advances that are happening that are really making everyone's life a lot better. And so when I see that, I know that we have a part to play at Wells Fargo in helping to empower those diverse businesses. Uh, A few years back, we really ventured in a number of different ways that I thought would be very, very helpful to doing what I call building capacity in diverse businesses. We provided $55 million in grants and capital to grow small businesses since 2015 through some specific programs around diverse community capital. And in my space, supplier diversity, and this is amazing for me to think about, we have grown our spending with diverse businesses to $1.27 billion, and that's just through 2017. We're working on finalizing 2018, which is shaping up to be another year of growth. But from 2014 to 2017, that's over $400 million of expansion with diverse-owned businesses. And when we think about making sure that everybody has a seat at the table to play, you know, to your point, Joyce, it's been very important to me that we include disability-owned business enterprises, and we call those DOBEs, D-O-B-E. But I've just, uh, for myself, kind of reframed what a DOBE is to me. I say DOBEs are people who do business um, with excellence, and they do outstanding business with excellence. So I've kind of hijacked the DOBE term, and I use it in different ways. But I do that to make sure people understand that when we're looking for um, specific expertise within Wells Fargo, whether it's training and development like your organization provided to us, or people who are working in the space of technology and digital acceleration, uh, we're looking for those within the business arena who have the best and brightest ideas and concepts. And in my experience with Dobies, we absolutely have been able to tap into uh, that brain thrust through our relationship with disability-owned business enterprises. And as you mentioned, the Disability In organization has just been a great organization for us to really leverage because it serves as kind of that one-stop shop for us to bring in what we consider to be best practices. So we look across and we ask ourselves, what are other corporations doing that are helping them to really advance inclusion of people with disabilities? And so Disability In puts together... Uh, information each year. They um, allow us to to have ourselves assessed to the Disability Equality Index, and that really adds value across the organization in our human resources, in our recruiting functions, in our supply chain functions, and in our marketing and uh, and customer-facing functions of the business. We've, We've come to understand that suppliers who have different experiences, uh, perspectives, or coming from different cultures and backgrounds, those suppliers help us to think differently and inherently help us to create uh, exceptional value for our customers. So Wells Fargo recognizes this. We're putting resources uh, behind ensuring that we're building capacity. We're working across the United States and across the globe. We actually ventured into, into India and the Philippines as we're building out our capacity building um, um, reach and scale And in fact, just last year, I was able to spend some time over in Shanghai, China, uh, continuing our efforts of making sure that we have the right partners uh, around the globe that are really working with us on this. So when I think about, you know, where we're going, it's about continuing to see that $1.27 billion grow. That's a metric that we've set for ourselves to continue to grow our spend. We're at 11.4% of our controllable spend with diverse-owned businesses, and we have a goal to reach 15% by 2020. So, you know, my team knows, and, and I've shared with people, we're going to continue to keep our eye on this because it's so incredibly important. When diverse businesses win, our communities and our society collectively wins. So really important that we focus on building capacity in diverse businesses. And I would like to say, uh, in behalf of all people with disabilities, thank you for including us. Not everyone does that, Regina. And I want to thank you for including us as part of your supplier diversity. 
It really means so much to everyone. Thank you so much for your commitment to us and not leaving us out. And uh, some people, Regina, when you talk about any type of diversity, I hate to say it, but they see it as, oh, that's that nice thing to do. Yeah, we have to do this uh, charity work. Oh, that would be good to include these other groups. But it is much more than that. It really does have an economic input. It's not just about doing this charitable thing to include this group. Um, And I wondered if you could talk about that coming from your vantage point for our listeners. Absolutely. And you know, Joyce, I'm the type of person from a leadership perspective, some of my strengths really uh, are around uh, vision and strategic planning and being able to uh, really galvanize and develop others toward the attainment of goals. And, And that's just who I've been over almost 20 years now of my career in corporate America. Uh, lots of folks know that uh, I'm a trained attorney. I'm licensed in North Carolina. My undergraduate degree is economics focused. So I'm one of those people who really loves to marry uh, just a, an understanding of the business case with the, with the practical policies and kind of the rules of the road of getting things done. But my approach to supplier diversity has always been from the vantage point of value creation. And so for the teams that I've had an opportunity to lead across different organizations in different industries from forestry to financial services uh, to manufacturing, you know, I really do come into, into those teams with a, a vision that says we want to go from here to there. And between those two points has to be value that's created and recognized by the organization. So I love to talk in terms of revenue creation and cost savings and margin expansion. And supplier diversity, I look at through that lens. So when I talk about the why behind, why it's necessary for us to bring in diverse suppliers, I'm looking at things like competitiveness. I'm looking at the ability to expand innovation. I'm looking at access to new and different markets and new and different consumer segments. But I'm also extremely focused on the best and the brightest. So when we talk about supplier performance management, my team is right there next to our supply chain management team, you know, going through scorecards, doing quality evaluations, uh, having third-party risk conversations with suppliers to ensure that they understand the rules uh, of the road of engaging with Wells Fargo. And what ends up happening then is supplier diversity becomes a strategy. In fact, when I'm having conversations with my team, I don't allow, allow them to use the word Supplier diversity program. From my standpoint, supplier diversity has to be at a level of strategy for an organization. And what is a strategy? It's a living and breathing and growing thing that at the end of the day should deliver significant value within an organization. Now, if we ever get to the point where that's not happening, I'll have to rethink some things because I'm certainly, you know, just hardwired for that to be the case. But that also means that the organizations that I've had an opportunity to really work within have nine times out of ten taken their supplier diversity efforts to a new level. We talk a lot at Wells Fargo about reimagining our business, and we're going through just some great uh, transformative um, uh, processes and phases right now. And so for supplier diversity, it's certainly giving us an opportunity to kind of step back and and think new thoughts with our business. And that, I think, really keeps me, keeps me engaged. And I mentioned that, that number of 20 years. I cannot believe I'm at uh, 20 years in corporate America. But I see myself continuing forward as a leader in this space as long as the organizations that I'm working with are uh, synced up with me around the fact that supplier diversity is about value creation. I think if we were to ever go in any other direction, that it probably would become very uninteresting to me really, really quickly. So I try to stay oriented toward the value creation. And you know what? When I'm listening to you talk, Regina, you did not just come up through sales, marketing, or HR. I mean, in your academic background, you're an attorney and you have a background in economics. Um, I mean, you know, you are 
truly the full package. I mean, you have a great background, and I want to stress that to everyone because, you know, Regina is a business person and a leader, and I really think it's great how she, I, I love that when you said you don't allow your staff to use that term supplier diversity. I, I love that because you're looking at it from a business standpoint, period. And that is really what makes all the difference. Looking at it as something that helps the company from the bottom line. And that's what you're doing with your leadership. Regina. And uh, again, thank you so much for that. I have to ask you um, a question. And, you know, even when I hear you talk, I'm always thinking, wow, she is so good. As a matter of fact, businesses, this would be a great conference speaker for you. Um, I mean, you know, just a all around great person that you are. So I'm going to ask you, you know, you've won awards. You won't believe her background. So impressive. But something, you know, it isn't exactly easy for a woman or a person of color to achieve all the things you have in corporate America today. And as you know, women are fighting for equality. Mm-hmm. And, and you have achieved so much. So I'm, I'm wanting to know what gave you the fortitude and the courage to make all of this happen? Well, you know, Joyce, I, I share my story, and, and it's a story that's still unfolding for me, uh, but I'm, I'm getting to a point where it's really starting to to make a whole lot of sense to me as to how I arrived where I am today. Uh, I, I'm originally from a very small town in Georgia called Thomasville, Georgia, and, and that's about as far south in the state of Georgia as you possibly can go before you get to Tallahassee, Florida. And I was raised in a community of folks who were focused on civil rights and education and who constantly said to myself and my sisters and those in our neighborhood that we could be everything that we wanted to be. And I didn't realize until I left Thomasville, Georgia, how incredibly insulated we were in this environment of extreme nurturing where everyone was focused on kind of bringing themselves up through education, through a commitment to their faith, through helping out within the community. And those are just deeply entrenched values that were uh, were ingrained in me. And so as I branched away into college and law school and kind of moved away from Thomasville, Georgia, it was, it was that... Um, uh, it was that nucleus within me that just continued to guide me throughout my career. And so I have been so incredibly blessed with mentors and sponsors. And let me just say, not all of them were minorities or were diverse individuals. Some of the greatest moves that have happened to me in my career have come from uh uh, majority individuals who saw my talents or who believed in my leadership ability, who allowed me to step into places where I was going to take some risks and, and oh, by the way, gave me, uh, you know, a, a little bit of grace in, in taking those risks. And folks who have continued to encourage me to say, I think you can be successful, uh, even at times when I maybe looked at the opportunity and said, I'm not sure if that's completely for me. So as I'm, as I'm now starting to kind of look back and put all of the pieces together, you know, one of the things that, that I know um, has helped me was that foundation uh, that I had from Thomasville, Georgia. But the other thing that has been incredibly helpful for me are the folks and the people who have been around me throughout my journey to really help to usher me to the next level. And so a part of what I do now as a leader is I see myself in that role of helping other folks to access networks, access capital, access opportunities. Um, I have a lot of opportunities each and every day to kind of speak with folks from a mentoring perspective where I'm serving as a mentor for folks who may be a little bit younger or coming up through their careers. And I'm sewing into their spirit. I'm talking to them about the possibilities and hopefully um, sharing some encouraging words. The other thing that's very special about the role that I'm in now is I get to interact 
with a number of startup organizations. Uh, Within Wells Fargo, I serve on an internal advisory board for a program called IN2. That's our our innovation focus within the clean tech space. And we've been now for a few years providing grant funding to uh, organizations who are creating just these cutting-edge technologies within um, clean tech. And it allows me each year to go up to um, Colorado and, and work with some of our stakeholders from the National Renewal, Renewable Energies Laboratory. Um, but I think of experiences like that where it, it's just a very niche opportunity, but because I have a seat at the table, it allows me to encourage and hopefully create a pipeline uh, of diverse businesses into those opportunities. And I know we've already touched on the disability in organization and the fact that I, I sit on the board of directors there and I'm the vice chair of that organization, along with some really incredible leaders from organizations like Microsoft and CVS and, and other financial services organizations. But that's another opportunity where I am paying it forward. I'm kind of taking all that goodness that was that was baked into me, and I'm looking for other opportunities to really help pull either that next uh, cohort of diverse businesses up or just in general to help provide some leadership to people who I believe I can have as incredible a journey uh, as I have had. Now, I always say my story's not over quite yet. We'll have to see what's what's coming up uh, for Regina Hayward, but I'm so incredibly thankful, Joyce, and the word that I will use is I've been so incredibly blessed from the beginning to the point that I am right now um, with with people and with uh, with the energy and with the vision to just continue forward. Wow. That's what I would say. Wow. And we're all so lucky to have you. Before we go to our news break, I want to say one thing that means so much to me that this board of directors did. Disability Inn for years was called the USBLN. Everyone knows USBLN, this huge trade or membership organization or trade organization of all the major corporations. And they had to rebrand and come up with a new name. And they chose Disability In. Mm-hmm. Not Ability In, not Special Ability In, not Diverse Ability In, not any of these terms, but Disability In. So, you know, Regina, that just did so much in the disability rights community that here's an organization where corporate leaders get it, that we are mm-hmm. what we are, people with disabilities, you know, don't try to change our name. I'm living with epilepsy. I'm a person with a disability. And thank you so much for doing that, Regina. Thank you. And with Absolutely. that... With that, we're going to get ready to go to our news break that you all know. We have a news break every half hour. And today, once again, Harry Jude Radisick with Advocacy Matters is going to give us an update. Hey, thanks, Joyce, and uh, thanks, Regina, for all of your work. And we have great news today on our Advocacy Matters segment. We're going to talk about the Disability Integration Act. The Disability Integration Act was reintroduced into the 116th Congress, and it was reintroduced in both the United States House and the United States Senate. This legislation is so important to the disabled community because it addresses a fundamental issue related to long-term services and supports. Essentially, the bill protects the rights of people with disabilities to live in the community instead of being forced into costly institutional settings. We have bill numbers. The Senate bill number is S117. The House is H.R. 555. And this legislation has bipartisan support. And as we know, disability issues are bipartisan issues. So we have members on this legislation like Chuck Schumer, the senator from New York, and Senator Cory Gardner, who's a Republican from Colorado. 
On the House side, you have members like John Lewis, a Democrat from Georgia, and Congressman Sensenbrenner, a Republican from Wisconsin. This bill will clarify that every individual who is eligible for long-term services and supports has a fundamentally federal protected right to a real choice in how they receive supports and services. So our goal in the advocacy community, Joyce, is to pass the Disability Integration Act by the 29th anniversary of the American Disabilities Act. And we know that date is July 26, 2019. I'm happy to say that over 100 national organizations and 600 state and local organizations support the Disability Integration Act. And Disability Rights Pennsylvania is just one of those organizations. So if you would like to act and send a letter to your member of Congress this week asking them to co-sponsor this legislation, you can do that. Visit us at disabilityrightspa.org. You can click on our Twitter page or our Facebook page and find the feed that will take you right to your member of Congress where you can send them a note and ask them to co-sponsor this legislation. We know advocacy matters, and all we need to do is push a button, send a letter, and make sure disabled people live in the most integrated setting with the services and supports that allow for greater independence. So join us this week, contact your members of Congress, and send an email about the Disability Integration Act. Thank you so much. Boy, that is great news. I love that bipartisan support. Uh, and one more time, website. Yes, Joyce, it's disabilityrightspa.org, and you can click on our Twitter feed or our Facebook feed. The information is up where you can read about it, and then click a link that will take you right to where you need to go to send a quick letter to your members of Congress at disabilityrightspa.org. Thank you, and thank you, Perry, for doing all of this great work that you do. Perry, Jude, you are phenomenal, and we'll look forward to talking to you on our weekly news break. Hey, thanks, Joyce. Guys, take care. Okay. Yeah, Regina, we started to have our own CNN news break because we want to make sure people around the the world, but certainly here in the United States, are up on, you know, any news. And this is such good news, especially with that bipartisan support. Exactly. That, That was a great update. Well... We like to keep everyone informed. But, you know, Regina, I read an article in a magazine, and of course, who would be in it but Miss Regina Hayward, talking about unconscious bias. And, you know, you hear this term so often, but a lot of people in corporate America, such as uh, operations people, you know, whether it's uh, IT, finance, marketing, all don't realize what this means. So I thought maybe you could take a couple of minutes and talk about what is unconscious bias and do you believe that we still have that today in the workforce? Yeah, so, you know, Joyce, I'm I'm glad you asked me that question because I've actually been doing just a a lot of uh, not only research and studying on unconscious bias, but having a lot of what I consider to be courageous conversations lately about those things that we, we might not necessarily be fully conscious or fully aware of, but absolutely maybe uh, factoring into how we make decisions or how we show up in the workplace or even how we process through that which we are seeing, hearing, and perceiving. And when I think about unconscious bias, just a, at a, a very um, high level to me, it, it truly is those those things that may be coming into um, our minds, our hearts, our feelings, our emotions that may not necessarily um, be how we actually feel or or think we uh, are perceiving um, information. Um, I think about unconscious bias as, as, 
almost like an iceberg. It's that piece of the iceberg that's underneath the water that that's kind of unseen. So when we show up each day in the workplace, we're presenting ourselves in one way. And, and typically for me, you know, the folks that I'm working around are very um, yeah, team member oriented, teamwork oriented, people who are really trying to uh, make the right decisions and kind of move things along. But every now and then when we just stop and we think about, hey, why did I approach that particular issue in the way that I did? Or what did I really hear that maybe my colleague just said? And do I have any sort of filters um, that may be in operation that I'm not 100% conscious or aware of? And so, you know, taking some time to really ensure, and, and this is how I approach unconscious bias just uh, in, in and of my own self, taking some time to really think through what did I hear, what did I see, what did I feel in this situation? How did the individual that I was interacting with really intend to come across? And might there be anything that I'm not fully aware of that may be an operation that uh, may be factoring into decisions that I'm making or ways that I am actually uh, perceiving other individuals. So, you know, unconscious bias is very nuanced and it, it's a bit complex, but to me, it's really uh, an opportunity for us to take time to get to know each other just a little bit better. And I've also learned for myself that it's an opportunity for me to really pause, reflect, and observe uh, when I come into a situation where I may be quick to uh, maybe react or make a decision based on something that has happened in my past or something that I may have heard that I'm not even aware is still active, uh, maybe in my mind or in my space. Um, I do think we're at an interesting time from a um, um, just a societal perspective in that it's very much accepted for us to have the conversation. And I personally like that. When I think about my 20-year career, it feels like we're just at a great inflection point where being able to be transparent, being able to be open, being able to be candid in conversations with others is absolutely not only expected, but it's very, very helpful. I feel that as long as we can kind of keep that openness and we can keep that, that, that real transparent dialogue coming um, to the forefront, that we have a great opportunity. And, and as I talked about at the beginning of this, uh, this broadcast, the opportunity that I see is to really ensure that we're getting contributions from everybody. That's how our economy is going to win. That's how our society is going to win. That's how our communities are going to win. That's how our families are going to win. And so anything that may be shutting down the contribution of everyone is something I think that we all have to be fully conscious of, fully aware of, and really working intently to, um, to change. And, and just to bring it back to Wells Fargo, you know, I really think Wells Fargo has an interesting approach to the space of diversity and inclusion, and this is where we get to have a lot of our conversations internally about unconscious bias. We focus on inclusion from a team member perspective. That's where we're striving to have a culture where our policies and our programs around attracting, developing, engaging, retaining team members is really oriented to ensure that we have the best talent and that that talent's diverse. When we think about the marketplace, that's where supplier diversity comes in. Um, we integrate diversity and inclusion into the business decisions we make every day. So every category, every sourcing event, every RFP, um, we're thinking about how do we ensure that we have an inclusive slate of vendors. And sometimes that means really sitting down with our business and our supply chain management teams, with our supplier diversity teams, and having some real candid conversations about who's in the marketplace. You know, how are we approaching this deal? Are we really thinking differently here? Are we just going back to an incumbent because we've always done that? So those conversations allow us to kind of chip away at maybe any status quo assumptions or a conscious bias that may be playing out within our supply chain. And then this last space of advocacy, uh, my team is out in the marketplace about 80 times a year at conferences, mentoring sessions. Um, we're investing uh, over $3 million a year in building capacity with universities like Stanford and Dartmouth, where we're sending diverse business owners for executive education, we have some great stories of disability-owned businesses like Mark Ellison, the CEO of Gemini, who's benefited from our uh, Puck program up at Dartmouth. 
But we're looking at advocacy, and we're saying it's not just what we're doing internally that matters. It's also what we're doing out in the community through providing opportunities for small, diverse businesses to grow, through working with organizations like Disability In and AAPD to advance the, uh, the rights and the platforms for people with disabilities. And, and, and really, when I think about that, it makes me so encouraged that Wells Fargo as a corporate citizen is really stepping into spaces that are beyond just, you know, the shareholder value space, but really thinking about the responsibility that we have as a corporate citizen. So long answer to the question about unconscious bias, but basically I think it's really important that we understand what it is and that we have that conversation and that as Wells Fargo is doing, that we're thinking about real strategic tangible, tactical ways that we can be a part of positive change. And sometimes positive change means being able to sit face-to-face with someone who you may not know or you may not normally interact with and just simply getting to know that person on a human-to-human, person-to-person basis. Well... I have a more a couple more questions about that, but right now, before we close the show, we're going to go to break, and then we'll be back again with Regina. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Regina Hayward. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training in technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we've been talking today to Regina Hayward, the Senior Vice President and Head of Supplier Diversity and Supply Chain Management, who I feel is just a great advocate, a great leader, someone that includes everyone, including us, people with disabilities. And when you were talking about unconscious bias, Regina, um, just as an example, would this be like someone that as they grew up, when they heard about people with disabilities, they heard more about poor them and, oh, it's a shame, you know, glad that isn't me. And then they get a job. And would that unconscious bias be something like, you know, I don't want to hire this person because they really just need charity or, you know, someone to help them, but they wouldn't be like a productive person. Would that be an example of what you mean? You know, I I think those could be and and are valid examples because, you know, when I think about unconscious bias, it's it's really those, those perspectives that we have that don't necessarily come from any sort of uh, one-on-one observation that we have made or, experience that we have had. It could come from something that we heard 
or just a, a belief that maybe is a part of our uh, family system, but it's coming from somewhere other than the reality of the situation. And so, you know, one of the things that we have to do and one of the things that I'm, I'm very thankful that we do at Wells Fargo is we have to set conditions where people have the opportunity to be included and then have the opportunity to succeed. I mean, the question you asked me earlier about, you know, how did I make it to where I am? I wouldn't have been here if there weren't people in my path that, you know, looked at me for who I absolutely and positively was at that time and then saw the potential in me and gave me the opportunity to work in jobs where I had progressive responsibility and management level, you know, accountabilities, and then provided me feedback of how to get better. The truth is none of us come, you know, into the world fully locked and loaded to do just about anything. We all have to learn and we all have to grow. And as long as we're setting conditions for success that give everybody that opportunity, I think we're going to be very successful as as a country and as a society. But, you know, some of the examples that you gave there, those are absolutely examples where through having a closed-minded perspective or, or allowing unconscious bias to really fester within an organization can literally harm and hurt an organization's ability to be able to, to accelerate forward. And, and let's just be frank. We're in such a competitive business environment today that, you know, limiting or, or, or having limited beliefs or having unconscious bias operating within organizations, that's not going to get you where you, where you want to go. Um, it's really all about right now being as innovative, as creative, as inclusive, and as open as we possibly can be to ensure that we have a seat at the table for everybody that, uh, that wants to be at that table. Well, there you go. When you were just saying that, I'm thinking, um, of course, you would want a diverse you know, environment that includes people with disabilities because these can be your consumers. And just as you are... Uh, you know, scored every year very high in the Disability Equality Index, you, just through your leadership and that participation, also causes people with disabilities to say, wow, you know, this is a great place to work. And I want to purchase from them. I want to bank with them. So, you know, it goes both ways. You know, when you're hiring people with disabilities, then... You're talking to people with a disability. It's like, wow, they hired people. I feel good about going there. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you think about, you know, as a as a country with the unemployment rate, um, you know, varying amongst diverse communities. Although the overall unemployment rate is is at about four percent, we've got to make sure that we are being um, inclusive within bringing people with disabilities into the workforce. We just we just have to do that. It, it, it's, it's no longer a, a good thing to do. It's about ensuring uh, as, uh, as a society that we have enough folks to continue to be competitive across all industries. And so, you know, that makes me um, very excited, but it also makes me really lean on others in corporate America to say, we need you to be a part of Disability In. We need you to ensure that you're coming to to recruit. Wells Fargo brings its recruiting teams into the Disability In conference, just as we uh, bring our supply chain management teams and our marketing teams and other folks into the conference, and we're hiring people for uh, for roles. Had a great um, uh, situation about a year and a half ago where there was a young uh, man here in Charlotte who was working for another corporation. I met him at the Disability and Conference. He shared his background and sent me his resume, and we were able to snatch him up and bring him over to Wells Fargo, and he's working within our technology division now, doing security technology work. And, oh, by the way, last year we brought him to the Disability in Conference with us. And so, you know, back wow, to the point great. of competition. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, I was super excited uh, when he called me and told me that he had joined the stagecoach. And so, you know, when we think about this, Joyce, Absolutely. It's very important that we are approaching what's happening within the country, what's happening within the diversity community, opportunities for people with disabilities from the standpoint of we are better as a country, as a society, as companies, when we have 
the collective uh, mind thrust of individuals uh, um, participating. And absolutely, positively, that includes people with disabilities. And I have to say that if you haven't been to this Disability in Conference, you are really, really losing out because I, I just feel it's such a great place, first of all, to meet other great leaders like Regina, where you can sit down and talk and say, hey, how's this work for you or get ideas from them. Uh, disabilityin.org and the conference is in July uh, and guess what you'll be able to meet Regina Hayward because she'll be there so Miss <laughs> Regina what message would you like to leave with our listeners today well first of all Joyce I just want to say thank you to you for your leadership and for continuing to carry the mantle uh, for people with disabilities, uh, not only as a business owner, but also as a powerful and influential advocate in this space. Um, I just want to say to your listeners that I appreciate this platform and this uh, ability to come back and talk about the work that's happening at Wells Fargo and, and how we're continuing to set increased goals for ourselves, not only in supplier diversity, but across our business in diversity and inclusion. Um, I have to just mention that we have a wonderful advocate within Wells Fargo and Kathy Martinez, who has been so incredibly active in helping Wells Fargo to orient its strategy uh, and its strategies across the business in relation to people with disabilities. And Kathy and I uh, are just uh, tied together hand in hand to ensure that we are working with our senior leaders, our executives, and our teams at Wells Fargo. So more to come from us uh, on uh, our people with disabilities strategies. And look forward to any and every opportunity, Joyce, that I might have to spend some time with you. You have been incredible, and I hope that uh, everybody has enjoyed today. Oh, I know everyone has enjoyed today. And Regina, thank you so much for being our guest and sharing your thoughts with people throughout the world. Thank you. I know how busy you are, and I loved having you on the show. Thank you, Joyce. Thanks, everybody. Well, before we go, I end every show with a quote. And today, it is from Albert Einstein, who said, Imagination is more important than knowledge. And how true that is. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.